Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. About 20 years ago, my company sent me to Japan. I was about 42 years old at the time, so I'm dating myself. I don't care, I'm a guy. And one of the key things they were sending me there for was, I work with our software system at work, but I also get involved on the financial side with some business things. And my job was going to be to pass to them instructions from the United States headquarters, a new accounting rule and a new way we were going to be conducting financial sales internationally. And I knew instinctively as I learned about it that it would not be well-received necessarily right away. I won't go get into the details. But nevertheless, my job was, my job was not to, to bring my opinion into the situation. My job was to simply communicate from headquarters what the intent and the message was to our subsidiary in Japan. And so I got there, and sure enough, when I began to speak to the general manager of the Japanese location for our company, it got to a point where it got a little dicey, because what I was communicating to him did not necessarily, it it wasn't clearly understood, even though in the end it, it was the right thing for our company. And there was a very strong temptation to kind of agree with him, so that I would have an easier time there, because I had to spend 10 days there. But I knew I did not have the right to do that. I had to communicate the exact content of my message, but I also couldn't give any inflections or try to change the spirit of it with so much as an eye roll or a nonverbal cue, because you can do that. You can change the spirit of what somebody wants to communicate. And so I communicated it, and the trip went well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If we're Christ's ambassadors, there's two things we have no right to change. The content of the message and the spirit of the message. There's things about the gospel, and there's parts of it, that as believers we can be tempted to leave out, because they're a little uncomfortable. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. They're uncomfortable. But we don't have the right to change it, either the content or the spirit of what's being said. I'd like to bring up our opening passage today, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. It says, I saw this, this is in the book of Revelation. This is a revelation that Jesus gave to the apostle John. So these words are not an opinion. These are not something from a theological seminary. This is Jesus. Our savior said this. He said it. I didn't say it. I'm communicating to you what he said. He said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Yes, I'm really going there. There's two questions and things floating around at least 40% of your minds right now. How could a loving God do this? And the other one is, won't this topic drive unbelievers away? Some of you are hoping I hurry past this and get into other things, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stay hovered right over it. Because Jesus said this. And he not only said this here, he said this in direct and indirect ways multiple times throughout the Gospels. This isn't fishing for a scripture. This isn't having an agenda and backing it up with a favorite verse. This is serious stuff. Paul didn't say it. Peter didn't say it. Jesus said it. So if there's any part of you right now that are thinking, Mike, I can't believe you're doing this. Your issue's not with me. Because Jesus did it. And he put it in writing so it would never go away. And it's part of the gospel. And if we try to remove it, we do a disservice to the glory of Christ who died on the cross. And we also change the character of our God. And we don't have the right to do that. The title of the message today is The Correct Question. Because like I said, the number one question that's asked when this comes up, of course, and rightfully so, is how could a loving God do that? I'm human. I would ask the same thing. I'm going to answer that today. If you stay with me through the whole thing, and I'm speaking to two groups of people today, I'm speaking to people who have heard this and may already believe it, and I'm speaking to people who may be here and have never heard this or have questions or aren't quite sure. And if you stay with me, I'm confident I'm going to be able to answer that for you in a way that might surprise you. So we're going to look at what the correct question is about this topic. And I want to focus on a couple of things in this. There's a throne, and it's white, which stands for holiness, which means that nothing can come near that throne, and the one on that throne is perfect, flawless. The Bible says his words are like words refined, like silver refined in a fire seven times over. 
And it says there's one seated on the throne. Who is that? It's God, more specifically, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God has entrusted all judgment to Jesus. He's the second person of the Godhead. So everything in here that I'm saying about him represents the heart and the character also of the Father and of the Holy Spirit and can be applied and thought about interchangeably. There's a set of books, and those books contain every deed, every thought, every sight, every whim, everything that we have done from the time we were born till the time we die. And there's a book called the Book of Life, and that Book of Life represents those who are in right relationship to the person that's sitting on that throne. And there's a huge and major consequence as to if your name is in that book or if you're being judged by your deeds in the other set of books. And the people that are standing in front of this throne, I won't get into a lot of theological detail. Let's just suffice to say there's a final judgment day that we will all have. But to be specific here, it's those who have died and who have completely rejected God. They want no part of the cross. They don't want no part of anything that has to do with him. And they're standing before God who is about to, to judge them. And you can't tear that out of the Bible. As much as right now, some of you may still be thinking, Mike, hurry up, get past that. This is making me uncomfortable. There's people here that may want to stand up and leave. Mike, this is very alarmist. Yeah, it's alarmist. I'm sounding an alarm. Mike, oh, that's very extreme. Yeah, it's extreme. So is the consequence of not knowing this. Right before I came here, God gave me a verse, and it's funny because I've been living for three months. I knew three months ago I was going to be giving this message. Normally, we have about a week to prepare. And for three months, every night, I've prayed and pleaded with God, God, if you want to change this and alter it and soften it, feel free to do so. And he didn't. I knew as a three month, and he put a stake in the sand. I said, why? He said, because... This needs to be reaffirmed and confirmed. This can't be swept under the rug because it's part of the communication of the full gospel. And there's pressure across the body of Christ to deny this. And normally it comes like this. People approach it almost with an attitude that, well, I'm more nuanced now. I've evolved past that. I'm more concerned with the immediate things. If I get too focused on that, I won't be able to focus on the things of immediate need on earth. Can I tell you that as I've focused on this the last three months, my mind has gotten more focused than ever on the things of earth because I know that I'm going to be facing God. Let's take a look right now at a scripture. I'll just tell you what I got. Right before I came here, there's a scripture in Matthew where Jesus is talking and he says to his disciples, don't be afraid of him who can just kill your body, but be afraid of him who can throw both soul and body in hell. But interestingly, do you know what the very next scripture is right after that? He says, 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet your Father in heaven does not let one of them fall to the ground apart from his care. What an extreme. The final judgment of God, and yet the same God that has this care for a sparrow. What does that mean? It means that when we know this and acknowledge this truth about the final judgment, that it's not an either or. It's a both end. We can't deny the judgment of God, but it's coupled with the mercy and the love of God. And as you're going to see, God's not the one that chooses which one comes to bear. And humanity wants to turn it around on God. I'd like to take a look at the person sitting on the throne, the creator. If you could bring up, I have a slide of the galaxies. This is the person sitting on the throne. Here's where he gets his authority from, part of it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is the one who's seating on the throne, right? The Bible says that everything was made through Christ, by the Father, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that one, you may, well, where does he get his authority to sit there and to do this? Well, here for starters, he created the universe. A couple of facts about how awesome he is. There's an average of 100 million stars per galaxy. And there's some super galaxies with up to a trillion stars. Well, how many galaxies are there? Conservative estimates, conservative Generally accepted. I think Gene will back me up on this. He teaches physics. The low end is absolutely 170 billion. That's, that's not even questioned. But in recent years, it's gone as high as 2 trillion. 2 trillion galaxies. Some with a trillion stars. And it's not just a hodgepodge and a mismatch. There's a design. There's a beautiful symmetry. There's an... Look at that. That's intelligent. That's a picture of from the Webb telescope. That's awesome, but the one who made that's more awesome. When I was preparing it, I was in the basement of the Lehigh Library preparing this message, and I began to look these facts up. And I'm not exaggerating, I had to stop. I had to put my hands in my head and I began to cry. Just like, oh my God. <laughs> my God. I just walked. I just walked around the neighborhood. And I literally, with every step, crazy God, you're awesome. Look at what your hands have made. That's our God. That's the creator. That's the one sitting on the throne. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Two defense mechanisms humanity has when it comes to the final judgment. One is to try to deny it. And if we try to deny it enough, we can fool ourselves and say that we can at least say to God, I didn't believe it in the first place. And God doesn't leave us an out. He says, "Uh uh-uh. All you got to do is walk around and look up in the sky. The Bible says you're without excuse. If you're listening, 
right now, and that offends you a little bit, I would ask you to remember again, I'm just being an ambassador. Your issue is with the creator of the universe. It's not with me. I'm respectfully and methodically just communicating to you what he said. And if you feel in your heart as if a knife is piercing it and opening it, and you can't deny this, you know what's happening? The Bible says that the word of God is living and active. It divides bone and marrow and soul and spirit. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and begun to just share this word who began to weep within three minutes. And I said that the story of, of salvation. And I would look at them and I would just say, that's not me. You just, you, don't, you hardly know me. I don't have the ability to do that. That's God. You just met me three minutes ago. How can you be crying? That's Jesus And the other thing is the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, will convict in regard to sin, judgment, and righteousness. So as I continue to talk over the next 15 minutes or so, it's going to be pretty short. The Holy Spirit's going to be at work, convicting. And if he doesn't do it to you, go get lunch and go on your way because there's nothing I can do about that. He's the only one that can make this real to you. But he does make it real. I'm living proof. What's God's heart? We saw how awesome and mighty he is. And you can bring that down. Well, first and foremost, the character of his heart, he's, it's a father's heart. He has a father's heart. Yeah, we're looking at a passage that has to do with severe, eternal, forever, horrific judgment. But that's not his desire. And I'll make that clear by the end of this, but what's his heart? In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 19, God was talking to his people Israel. And he said, How gladly I would treat you as my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought that you would call me father and not turn away from following me. I thought that you would call me father. That's God. It's not a, you know, but we turn it around. How could a loving God? No, 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 no. There's a question that's a better question because that's not the God we have. That's not the God that's on that throne. He's a God that has a father's heart. I asked my son permission to share this. As a father, one of the greatest joys of my life is just going for a walk with my son. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. It's just going for a walk with my son. It's visiting my other son up at his house along the river. There's nothing greater And I'm just a man. That's the heart that's in the creator. But God's also a holy God. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, talking about John, when he saw 
Jesus, who's sitting on the throne later in Revelation, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And remember in the opening passage, it says death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. But Jesus has the authority to control that. He holds the keys of hell and of death. So it really behooves you to give a close listening ear to who Jesus is and to not put your head in the sand like an ostrich and just hope it's not true. I'm going to tell you something that could be controversial, but I'm just, this, it's an opinion. It's not a doctrine. It's just my opinion. You're free to agree. You're free to not disagree. But after 40 years of talking to people about Jesus, I genuinely and sincerely believe that there's no such thing as a real atheist. Oh, Mike, oh, that's pretty close-minded. No, it's just my opinion. You can disagree. I do believe there's people that don't want God to be in existence. I do believe that there's people that have hardened their conscience, but I have a very hard time believing there's genuine atheists. The Bible says, men are without excuse. He reveals himself through the creation. And he's a holy God. I bought a sweater one time down at Donegal Square. You know where that is? The Irish store? It was a beautiful white wool sweater. Back when I worked at a cookie company. And I was getting ready to head into work over Christmas, before Christmas. We were going to have a kind of a light, festive day there. I had my eye on this sweater for months because it was pretty expensive. I bought it and it was a white, wool sweater. It was awesome. It was cool. It was clean. You know how it is. You put on something new. Smells good. Feels good. I put it on. I looked in the mirror and I thought, is Kelly Horn here? We, are, we have an inside joke. Kelly, I looked in the mirror and I said, dang, oh, you're looking good. <laughs> I did. <laughs> hey, you know, when you get to be, you know, on the north side of 40, you take what you can get. <laughs> But I was feeling it. I was looking good, man. I was in a nice white sweater. You know, hey, Mike, you're, you're not bad, man, you know. <laughs> and I came down the stairs, and I was planning on getting in the car on that nice white sweater. I made myself a sandwich before I went to work, and I went to eat the sandwich, and unbeknownst to me, a spot of yellow mustard fell on my $149 white wool sweater. Have you ever tried to get a stain out? It's never the same. Never. And even if it comes out, I would have known. This isn't a pure white sweater. You may not see it. And more than that, every time I looked at it from then on, I looked for that. Heaven is pure. God is pure. There's a reason he can't allow any sin in his presence. Because his presence then wouldn't be flawless and beautiful. Well, man has separated himself from God with a lot of those kind of things. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says about us, your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. When I was in high school, if I came home and did something that I knew broke my parents' trust, 
or I broke a rule, or I came in late, I'd come in the front door, and I would go, instead of directly down the hall, I would go into the living room, all the way around to the dining room, into the kitchen, grab myself a snack, growing teenager, take it, go to the stairs, and try to get up to bed till my mom would hear the creak on the fourth stair. Mike, come here, we want to talk to you. I tried to avoid them. And that's what we do when we sin. We instinctively pull away from God. And the Bible says it's even worse than that. Whether we want it to or not, it says our sins separate us from God. And those sins are the things that's written about in that set of books at the final judgment. Oh, but Mike, we're saved by grace. We're not judged by works. No, we are saved by grace if you accept that grace. But if not, you are judged by your works. And keep that in mind, that set of books holds everything we've ever done from the beginning of time. God doesn't overlook, we, we can forget it, we can put it away, but it's there. And it's in that set of books. And that's what causes a divide and a chasm between the creator and his creation. Those aren't my words, that's the words of God, and I'm simply communicating them. So how do we get back to God? We have a loving God who cares about two sparrows falling to the ground. He's that caring. But that holds a judgment that's so horrible and terrible that even Christians don't want to hear it. Can I segue for a second and tell you something? Remember when I said most Christians have a hard time with this because they think it'll drive people away? Can I tell you that it's actually just Christians that have a problem with that. Do you know when I talk to people, I'm not exaggerating. I'll walk up sometime. I don't do it all the time. Don't worry. I don't, don't, you know. But as the Spirit leads from time to time and on occasion, it'll be so strong. And I just use very direct method. I literally walk up and say, hi, my name's Mike. Sounds corny, doesn't it? But it works. Smile. Hi, my name's Mike. Listen, I was 10 feet over there standing there and I'm a Christian and I felt like I was supposed to come talk to you. If they say no, no, fine. But if they say yes, they've given me permission. And once they've done that, in 90% of the cases, they are fine with what I'm about to say and this is what I say. Yes, because what I wanted to talk to you about was God, the devil, and heaven and hell. Pretty direct, right? Not your self-esteem, not your God-shaped vacuum in your heart. Heaven and hell. And they never leave. And they're like a sponge and they want to hear it. So be at peace. This doesn't drive people away. In fact, I think watering it down drives people away. And by the way, am I saying that Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 has to be shared and talked about every time? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we need to keep in the back of our mind and always never deny the complete undergirding structure of the gospel. It's got to be there for us. The Bible says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning the person that's sitting on the throne. So God the Father was pleased to put 
all of his deity and fullness. He didn't have to even put it in him. It was there. What this means is God was fine with it. He's pleased with it. His son is equal to him. It's his darling son, just like my sons I told you about. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that that final judgment where the judge is sitting on the throne and there's people from the ages of the world standing before God, that's the same God who shed this blood. So anything those people have to say to him, they need to remember he died for them. And he knows whether they honored that death or whether they thumbed their nose at it. And God does not suffer fools. And yes, he's merciful, but he's also God. What mother here would not stand up in unbelievable, unrestrained rage if somebody walked up to their little two-year-old and slapped them? I'd rather meet a grizzly bear. No, I'm serious. It's done. It's over. But we did that to Jesus. Every one of us. He died and shed his blood on the cross because of our iniquities. And so God had every right to stop things right there and send every one of us to that lake of fire. And he would have been perfectly loving and in his right to do that. But as we'll see, he didn't. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. We're the ones with the iniquity. We're the ones who have deeds recorded in the books. We're the ones that should have been shedding our blood. But the one who had no sin took our sin on him and died on the cross and shed his blood. And that was no small thing to God, that his son did that. And God looks intently at the reaction of every human. What's your reaction to what I've done for you? I can't do anything more. I've taken that sin that's in those books and I've placed it on my son and he was nailed to the cross and he shed his blood. And the Bible says that through Christ's physical body, we can be made the righteousness of God and have our robes washed in the blood of the lamb. And instead of standing there on judgment day, fearful that our deeds are going to be opened and talked about in those books, that we can point to the book of life and say, Lord, you'll find my name in the book of life. People have often said to me, Mike, you're, you're black and white. There's no gray with you. There's a time for gray and a time for nuance and a time for subtlety. But like my older brother taught me once, he said, Mike, when humans are trying to wiggle out of something, they complicate it. But the things that are important, Jesus made pure, simple, and clear. And the Bible says that the power of the gospel is not wise and persuasive and elegant words. It's simple communication of the cross that Jesus died on the 
cross and shed his blood and forgave our sins. That's the gospel. And the Bible says to those who would say that's foolishness, Mike, that's too simple of a message. The Bible addresses that and says that he was pleased through the foolishness of this message to save those who were lost. This is it. This doesn't change with each generation. It's true for the millennials. It's true for Gen X, for Gen Z, for the boomers like me, for prime time. None of you are unique. It hasn't changed. People may change, cultures may change. But the cross doesn't change. Bringing to a close. Exclusiveness. Leaving things out. Oh, we rage against that today, don't we? And there's some of you, I'm going to say something. Oh, Mike, hurry past that. I'm going to scare people again. No, I'm not. This is the Bible. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Talking about Jesus, it says, He's the stone the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. I had a sense as I was preparing this message that there was going to be a college professor from one of the five universities in the Lehigh Valley watching this. I don't know who you are. I've never met you, but I had an incredibly strong sense. And what I want to tell you right now online, and if you feel this piercing your heart, that's not me, it's the Word of God, because I can't do it. But you may be able to win debates in the student union, and you may be able to humiliate freshmen, and you may be able to get them to where they even question their faith. But you know what? That doesn't matter, because Jesus is still Lord, and there is only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you're hearing this right now, that's not me. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying it with an arrogance. I'm saying it in love. I'm saying it in love. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. I had a conversation once at a playground. I was talking to a man. He was from India. And we were about 30 years ago. I was pushing my son on the swing and we were talking. He began to talk about his faith and we began to talk together and everything was fine. And I talked about Jesus. He talked about various things and everything was fine until I said, you know, we believe Jesus is the only way. And it stopped. And it was a point of departure. But you got to do that. You can't deny it. That's our faith. And power gets poured out from heaven when you don't shy away from that. He is the only way. So today, I confirm and I reaffirm and I reestablish that Jesus is the only way and that there is a final judgment to come. And yes, God is incredibly loving, but he's also a holy God who will judge one day. So, if you do not want to be one of the people standing in front of Jesus when the books are opened, who he looks at your deeds in the books. You have a choice. You can have your sins judged in you and on you on that day, 
Or you can allow God to judge your sins on the cross and take them off of you. That's how it works. And how does that happen? John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says, To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not subjects, children. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And yes, I know. I know there's more after that. I know that we walk out our faith and we grow in Christ. I, I know that. This is not an either or. But you got to start somewhere. And nothing happens if your name's not written in the book of life. Jesus did not die on the cross because you have low self-esteem and he wants to heal your self-esteem. He can do that, and that's something that will happen. Beautiful things happen when you come to him and give him your life. But he did not leave heaven and come and die on a cross even to heal your marriage, although he can heal your marriage. But that's not why he went to the cross. God has counselors for that. The one thing that we can't do that happened by Christ dying on the cross is save ourselves, And that's why he went to the cross. To save us from judgment. God sends no one to hell. He sends no one to hell. So what's the correct question? Here it is. On that day, when countless millions and billions of people are standing in front of that throne, trying to shake their fist possibly and say, how could you? Jesus is going to silence it. He's going to say, how could I? Look at these hands. I died for you. And so, silence. That question doesn't hold up in this court. I have a question for you. How could you reject such a merciful God? The question is not, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? He ended that by dying on the cross. Forever. I don't even entertain that question with people. I don't even get into it. The question is, how could you reject such mercy? And so today, we have a choice. And so what I would ask is... If you could close your, close your eyes and bow your heads. And as I do this, what I also want to say is, I believe the Bible is con- says that this message is confirmed with signs and wonders and healings by our Lord. And I believe that right now there could be people being healed simply from sitting under this message. I truly do. But while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed... What I want you to do is settle in your heart. The Bible says, God says, come now, let us reason together. He uses the word, let's, let's settle the issue. Isn't that wonderful the way he says it? Come now, come on, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as wool. But it's your choice. And instead of that lake of fire, 
The very next passage after that talks of those whose names are written in the book of life going into a kingdom where there's no more pain, no tears, and no sorrow. Why would anybody choose the first one? So, if you've not done that and you're not sure that your name has been written in the book of life, or you thought you were sure you really didn't understand this before, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to repent of your sins. And I don't want you to come to God with an attitude that says, okay, God, I'll give you a try. You come humbly, you come walking on your knees, and you thank God with every step that he saw fit to allow you to hear this message today. And now you're responsible for this message because you've heard it. And so you have a chance right now. And so if you want your name written in the book of life, and you want peace with God, and you want to be reconciled, I'm going to say a prayer And as I do it, I'm just going to ask you to repeat in your heart. I'll give a pause after each sentence, and you do it. I say, dear Lord Jesus, I deserve death. I'm one of those that's worthy of being thrown into the lake of fire. And it doesn't make you an evil God because you set me free from that. You died on the cross and shed your blood so that I don't have to go there and I can go to heaven with you. And so now, I ask you to write my name in the book of life, to remove the sins from the books, that I won't be judged by them, that they won't be found, and put my name in your book of life right now. I accept you give you my life. I give you my heart. Thank you, Lord. And while your heads are still down, if anybody did that for the first time or felt you needed to reaffirm that, if you could just raise your hand just up where I can see it. It's very hard seeing up here in the glare. And so what I'm going to ask is I'm going to give you the freedom after the message. And while I'm talking right now, musicians, you can begin to come up and make your way forward. But what I'd like to tell everybody is if you have prayed that prayer, if you've made peace with God after the service, stay online. There will be instructions given to you for next steps. And I would also invite you to come up and take communion with me, even though I took it already. Feel free to come up and take communion as for the first time, somebody who's had their name written in the book of life. And if you're online and you made that commitment, like I say, stay online and you're welcome to come to this church afterwards. I hope my prayer was that I would be able to communicate this in a way that balanced the incredible mercy and love of God with the absolute surety and certainty of what the alternative is. I hope I did an okay job of doing that. And I just want to thank you. I'd just like to seal this before they begin to play the last song and just pray that all of us would have opportunity in our life as God leads in gentle ways to meet people and to share his love with them and to share the fullness and the wholeness of the gospel. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.